Okay, are we ready? All right, how many are from a smaller family? Raise your hand. Okay. How many are from pretty good-sized family? All right. How many are from really big families? Like, you go to a reunion, you get lost. Okay. I'm from one of those. It's one of those where you, like, you look around and you don't know if they're your family or not. Right? Somehow they know you from Facebook, and I don't really Facebook much, and you don't know them. You're like, hey, what's up? How's it going? Oh, you're my cousin. Oh, I know, yeah, for sure, right? Some of us are from those families where you just kind of get lost in the crowd. This is a, a very, very important topic because we have different kinds of families. We have families that we're born into, right? Those are natural, biological families that we're born into. Those families have a name. You share that name and you're connected to it and that's how people identify what family you're from, correct? So I'm from the Fairley family. Sharon's from the Franta family, all right? And so that's our name. That's the family that we're a part of. But then we have this. This is family. We have church family. And what name binds us all together is church family. Jesus, right? So we're known by our name, but see, family goes beyond just name. Family's about intimacy. So you have these now, I'm not Mark Spencer, so I don't have like a list of statistics. So I'm more shoot from the hip guesswork. <laughs> but my observations have been in my own life that you have tears, metaphorical tears, of um, relational space. So I'll let acquaintances only come so far to who I am. Right? People you meet on the street, this or that. I will let friends come in or, or colleagues come in so far. I will let family, they're in the inner ring, right? Or they're designed to be. They're the ones where the masks are off and you can be who you are. That doesn't mean we, cond- we condone everything about who the other is, right? Who has teenagers? <laughs> Do you condone every behavior? No, but you still love them, right? And the home... The place where the family dwells should be a place where they can come in and they're not having to do this. They're not having to be on guard all the time. There's a safety that we, that when we think of family should be there. There's a safety environment and it's the closest thing to us. That's that tier of relationship. So this morning we're going to talk about what happens when that tier of relationship, the closest relational unit that you have starts shaking. And we'll, we'll list some pretty specific things that cause that to shake. And then how as people that love Jesus, that love him, live in that tension, live in that pain, live in all of those different things in such a way that he can be seen and then transform the situation. That's easier said than done. But that's the hope. That's what God wants. He wants relational reconciliation. That's what he did on the cross and in the grave with us. He reconciled relationship and he gave him access, us access to himself. That is the love we are to pour forth even when we don't feel the person across from us is entitled to it. But one of the first things we need to understand is that everyone needs family. Everyone. 
we are designed as family. That's when we're born, we're designed to be in family. When Jesus created us, he's the father, we're the children, the family dynamic has already begun. So whether you, you some of us have been born into a family and then we're, we're given up for adoption or this or that, some of us don't have family um, that used to have family or some of us uh, now finally have family that didn't, now, th- these are all hard things, but we're meant to have it. Everyone needs it. It's vital. Jesus uses those same components to set up the church. We're called a church family. We're the body of Christ because we need each other. We absolutely need each other. But families are complicated things, right? They're complicated dynamics. Who's ever seen Home Alone? Okay, Do do you remember the scene where, okay, Macaulay Culkin, what's his name, Kevin in it, right? So Kevin is in a big family and everyone is doing their own thing and they're in this mansion and he keeps getting lost amongst the crowd and gets blamed for stuff and, and his uncle's yelling at him, you know, and saying not nice things and he is just so angry and mad and everything's fractured in his mind and the statement he says, and sometimes we feel this way, especially we, when we can identify those, those family members in our lives, He says a very poignant statement. I wish they would all just disappear. Does anyone remember that? (laughs) Who's ever said that? Some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I've even said that. I wish I'd just disappeared. And then he wakes up and guess what? He got left behind, they're all gone. But you find through the progression of the movie, it's a great understanding of the need of family because he realizes that though he got a break, Without relationship, life is nothing. It's going through the motions. We are meant to have intimate family relationship. That's what we're designed for. And he finds out through the progression of the movie, I want my family. Because yeah, they're annoying. Yeah, they, sometimes I get lost in the crowd or forgotten, right? But I love them. I need them. I need that connection. And so we need that connection. It's very, very important to make sure that we are surrounded by family. And sometimes it'll be people that, uh, friends that develop into family. Who's got friends that you would call them family, right? There's all different forms of family, but we're defining it as that deep, intimate, relational connection that comes into this sphere of, of influence here, and you can be you and you trust them probably above most anything else, right? When kids, when kids get hurt in the daycare or this or that, they go, I want who? I want mommy, I want daddy, I want the familiar intimacy that I know where I feel safe. That's where they wanna be. That's when we cry out, Abba, Father, that's our cry. When we cry to Jesus, we're wanting that family intimacy. We're wanting that that intimacy that God has designed for us that every single person needs. It is even almost more important than breathing in a sense. Well, you know, they're on par. So it's extremely important. Everyone needs family. Now, show of hands, in just a second, when you see this picture, 
if you agree. As soon as you see it, I want you to raise your hand if you agree. (laughs) Family can be really, really, really hard work. It is hard work. Like Doug said when he, he gave his testimony about the bridge, this is a healthy church family, but it's not without its stuff. It's hard work to continue to be healthy because we have to stay connected with Jesus and make the decisions that will bless the people in the atmosphere around us. And no, we will not always get it right. And let me tell you this, I, will, I promise this to you. Your family at one point or another will let you down. It's gonna happen. We'll fail one another. It will happen. It probably has happened. If not, it probably will. But how we respond is what's gonna speak to that, living God's love out loud. How we respond to that. Now, <laughs> I have one sibling, a younger brother, Brooks. It's about two and a half, my parents are here today, two and a half years younger than me. <laughs> They're like, I don't know. <laughs> you probably really don't know. Um, and I remember uh, very young that I was so excited when he got old enough that I can interact with him. Uh, because I love people, I love going and, and interacting and having a good time and laughing and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, my brother's old enough, we can go play ball, all this stuff. And I was all into athletics, and he was like, leave me alone, I'm gonna draw my little creatures. That's a, he was an artist, that's what he did. He loved it, and our languages did not compute to one another but I always wanted to spend time with him. But if I couldn't, if he didn't want to spend time with me, that's where I started. Uh, who, do we have older siblings in here? That's where you start teasing. <laughs> and I would just, but it was the only interaction I could get with him because he would be off in a corner drawing or doing something and I want to be outside and be social. He didn't want to do that. And so it was hard, even at a young age. But I'll never forget this because th- this is going to be essential for what we talk about today. Um, I'll never forget this story because I thought my brother didn't love me or didn't care about me or anything. But I remember I was in like fifth grade. He was in like second or third. And I would, I would wrestle with this one kid I didn't really like very much almost every day after school. And it gave me an excuse to kind of just put the hurting on him. But we called it wrestling, you know. And we would do this like every day. We were okay. We were friends, I guess. Um, and so one day, I just didn't bring my A game. And he just started beating on me a little bit. And my brother, from a distance, saw him. Now, I got to tell you what my brother looked like, because this is very important to create the, the, the necessary picture. All right? His wardrobe was atrocious. And I mean that by, like, it was offensive to the eye. He would wear this big army jacket, these little short shorts, and these brown cowboy boots with metal tips. I mean, the guy was I, a little, I mean, it was just w- weird to me, you know? I got to be color coordinated, I got to, you know, and here's a guy just like every genre threw up on him. <laughs> He's like, I have a little of this, a little of that. So, imagine, little second grader, blonde locks, little dimples, sees his brother getting beat on. Now, this changed the family dynamic for he and I, especially how I approached him. When he saw that, 
I remember I was on the bottom getting kind of pounded, and I see this little guy doing the like wheel run. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's not a good looking run. And he's going, and he's coming at us, and then you see the rage, and he just goes, bam, kicks that guy in the face. With those little steel tip. <laughs> the guy was okay. And all I see is my little brother. <laughs> and you should never see that much rage on a second grader. Ever. I mean, he was just. <sighs> and then he calmed down. He, like, he went Hulk smash on the guy. And then he calmed down. <laughs> and then I'll never forget his face. What did I just do? I kicked the fifth grader in the face. So the guy gets up and chases, and Brooks is off for the races. But I'm standing, I'm sitting there stunned, and I'm going, he loves me. <laughs> now, that didn't set a pattern of, oh, now we were hanging out and all of this stuff. But what it did was it brought me hope. And hope is essential for living God's love out loud. Because when we go into any relational situation, we have to go believing and trusting that Jesus will use us in such a way that will bring change in the other person's life. If we don't, what are we doing it for then? Then it's hollow obedience. But we have to bring hope to the situation. And it's not us that bring it, it's Jesus who brings it through us. And that day created hope for me. And my brother and I, we, you know, we missed each other more than we connected. But it, in high school and college, when I got into college, we started connecting. And he's one of my best friends. And, you know, we will storm the gates of hell together. And I've watched the Lord do amazing things in his life. Um, but it wasn't without patience. It wasn't without prayer and that hope that God was going to do something. And oddly enough, it was from him kicking someone in the face. But on my behalf, right, protecting his older brother, he did what he knew to do. He wasn't going to sweet talk his way out of that one, especially the way he looked, right? Could you not do that anymore, please? But family is hard, especially when we've been victims or recipients of actions words or lack of presence by the people we should feel the safest around. Some of us have been abused more ways than one. Some of us have been abandoned. Some of us have been completely rejected by the people that we should feel the safest with. And now Jesus, you're calling me to love them? The one that abused me? the one that violated every ounce of trust I have, you want me to love them. Ha, 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 not gonna happen. I can think of people uh, in my own family where I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you, I am completely okay with never reconciling with them. If I never speak to them again, Fine. That's great for me. But Jesus has my heart. So that I can't stay there because that's not where he wants me to stay. And that's not where he wants you to stay. 
But what, what can we do? When every boundary of safety has been violated by the ones we trust the most. How? How, how, do, we, how do we do that? Well, ultimately, I really don't know because I'm in it. And I realized halfway through the first message this morning, I went, smokes, I've got to actually practice this. I've got to do this. And I don't want to. My flesh does not want to. I'm okay with zero contact. But that's not what Jesus leads us to. Because remember, Jesus was on the cross and he said, Lord, what? Forgive them for they know not what they do. And he went through every kind of abuse, rejection, betrayal you could possibly imagine. And love was on the brain the moment he he took his last breath. From beginning to end, reconciliation was his hope and goal. And that is the Jesus who lives within us. So what do you think our goal should be? That God would bring reconciliation as much as we may not want it. Because we have no idea what he's going to do out of that. We have none. We have zero idea. Because we haven't allowed ourselves to be open to that possibility because we're hurt. Things have been fractured. What do we do with that? But we don't allow ourselves to to hope. Because we feel hope has been robbed from us. That's how it feels. Who has felt at one point in your life, and this is a vulnerable question to ask and even more vulnerable to answer, but how many of you at one point in your life felt like there was no hope? And for those of you, how many of that hope was restored? And when you look back on that time, I've felt that way at times, and I look back and I go, why did I think that? Now seeing because now I've lived through what I couldn't see before. And that brings healing. Mark Spencer preached the message that was so good. You gotta hear it, it was from the ark, it was so amazing. And he said basically this, that when there is no hope in your mind, you have to remember that Jesus always has one more move. He always has one more move. And we have to remember that and we have to trust that. And this gets us into our passage today. You know, I I had a challenge thinking about this and and praying through because there are so many passages you can choose to look at family dynamics and look at how Jesus responds to this and respond to that. But I felt the Lord lead me to this. And and this is important for us because there is no how-to with family. There is relying on on Holy Spirit to move you through and make the decisions that you need to make that will leave love in that place, in that person's heart. I mean, that's, there are some things, you know, common sense we do and we don't do. But does anyone have a how-to guide? (laughs) I'd love it if you got it. But Paul in Romans, chapter 15, we're gonna look at verse 13, he's speaking to the Gentiles here and, and encouraging them, exhorting them to trust and that Jesus sees them, loves them, says this, is a blessing. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again. May the God of what? Hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what, here, this is what we're, the, the, the passage is saying here. As you trust in Jesus, you will be filled with peace and joy, which is the cocktail for overflowing hope. From the God of what? Hope. This isn't like God carries a little bit of hope here and there and he fairy dusts it all over you. He is hope. He is the source, the abundant source of hope. And when we step into him and when we live in him and with him, what do you think is going to spring out of us? Hope. See, family dynamics are so complicated and I'm tired of trying to figure them out. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it anymore. Because every time I ask Jesus a dynamic question, he just says, lead them to me. Jesus, there's gotta be a little more to that. Can you give me a strategy of how to do that? Can you give me some kind of roadmap Lead them to me. It feels frustrating. Right? It's that that whole Kevin Costner thing, if you build it, they will come. What does that mean? You're giving me this one little phrase, go the distance. What does that mean? Show me. Paint me a picture. That's the greatest one. What we are about, those of us that carry the name of Jesus, are to go in in every situation, and in this case, a family dynamic situation, and be Jesus to those people. And the reason why we do that is so that they can be transformed with ever-increasing glory. Because we know we have family members that we've tried to talk them out of behavior, we've tried to scold them, we've tried to, you know, talk our way out of the situation or convince them or shame them or do something to change the dynamic, but without Jesus, there can't be good, rich, healing transformation. There cannot. There cannot. Anything you achieve will be temporary. There will always be more stuff because Jesus wants to get to the core of every single person's value that says, I am enough in you. I, Jesus, am everything. And of course, you point them to me. And I found that means, how did I get to Jesus? Well, I saw him modeled in my life. I saw his love, his compassion, his joy, his sense of humor. I saw those things modeled. They weren't preached at me, they were modeled. How do I point them to Jesus? Well, I'm gonna live in such a way, I'm gonna love in such a way that can only point them to Jesus. That's how we live God's love out loud in challenging family dynamics that we don't understand. I have no idea why some of my family makes the decisions they make. I have no idea their own hurts that have led to mine. Because we find that the people that hurt us the most are the ones that are probably hurting the most and they don't know it. But Jesus cares just as much about them 
as he does you and wants to see those relationships reconciled. And true kingdom reconciliation only comes through Jesus. Only. But we have to trust him. See, all the the pain, the rejection, or whatever it might be, the abuse, those things, they take space in your heart. Don't they? It makes it hard for us to love those people because that space is taken. And it's usually scarred up. It's usually walled up. But when we look at this blessing, look at what it says when it says, trust in him, as you trust in him. And as you is a progression. It doesn't always happen like that. Right? We learn to trust him over time more and more in every situation. Because you're giving a lot of different pieces over. And we are very complicated, dynamic beings. And so we're giving pieces of him as much as we see. We give him all that we can when we see it. And as we trust in him, then that, what that will do is bring joy and it will bring peace and it will free you up to get rid of some of that pain and that junk. So now, now what? You had no space. Now you have space and joy will come, peace will come. And when those things are in place, then you will overflow with hope. And that's a word we need to hear as a church family. And that's a word we need to hear as individuals. There is always hope. Jesus always has one more move, and we have to believe that. Now, I, when I saw that I was going to be doing this message, I was so angry. <laughs> I, I was peeved off. I was, I was not a happy camper. Why? Well, because I have my own family stuff. And guess what? When you get this kind of thing to preach on God pokes and prods at your heart and I don't like it do you like it no it's terrible I mean how many of you get when you get your heart gets poked and prodded at and convicted you're like oh man that feels so good I love the conviction of what I'm not doing no that's not a good feeling but it's healthy because it leads us to healthy living. And I, you know, you can check in with me. Oh, I can't believe I said that. But (laughs) it was already out. I can't take it back. But I got my own work to do. How many of you can think of someone right now that you got work to do? And it doesn't, it may not mean a full on confrontation. It may mean just starting to pray for the person. Because we've talked about in the past how hard it is to bless someone you don't like. And that could be the first step. But there has to be a step. And the first one could just be like, all right, Lord, this is stinky. I don't like this. Because he's not threatened by honesty, by the way. He loves it. I hate this, Lord. Don't make me do it. Even Jesus said that, right? Didn't he say that in the garden? He said, Lord, may, please let this cat, if, if it's at all possible by you, let this cup pass me by because I don't want to do it. Now, these are for different reasons than mine. But maybe the first step is just saying, okay, Lord, I don't want to do this, but I will because I love you and you in my life is greater than any pain or any injustice done on me. 
Now, I could say that pretty easily, but to step into that and let that permeate through my heart and my being till it leads me to action is a much longer road and a much challenging, more challenging road. But remember, there's different types of family. And we are a church family because we need each other to encourage one another in those family situations. One of the greatest things that we can do to live God's love out loud is to truly trust that he has one more move. It really is. It's one of the greatest things that you can do because it means you haven't given up hope. How could you if Jesus is alive in you? How could we give up hope? Because if Jesus is alive in us, that means we're trusting him. And if we're trusting him according to this passage, then peace and joy are filling up our hearts. And if that's happening, then hope is overflowing. And then Jesus has more than just one more move. He's got a whole world of moves that we can do. I just have to trust that that's there. Because the world needs to see the body of Christ living healthy family dynamics. Let me tell you. And that starts with Jesus. And the middle is Jesus. And the end is Jesus. It's never Jesus and then something else. It is always Jesus and it is really hard. But this is supposed to be encouragement to you. (laughs) As much as I'm whining about my own situation, I'm encouraged because I see that the God we serve is true and that he is love because what he wants is something we wouldn't want for ourselves because it's beyond who we are. But it's everything he is. Everything he is. Let's pray. Lord, this is really hard. (laughs) It's really hard. And I'll be honest with you, I don't like it. But I love you. We love you. And we really do want to partner with you in such a way that lives are changed just simply how we um, relate with them. Not what we preach at them, but how we live with them, how we love them, how we look at them through your eyes. And it's really hard to do that with family. You know that, Lord. So hard because the intimacy goes deeper than most relationships. And when that intimacy and trust is betrayed, it's so hard to move into reconciliation. Because it also takes two. So no matter what side of the coin we are on in those family dilemmas, Lord, would you... uh, Burn this passage, this blessing of hope into our hearts. Do you always have one more move? And to believe that you have one more move, to trust that you have one more move, is truly living your love out loud because now we are the people of hope you have called us to be because you are the God of all hope and we carry you in our hearts. So may we not leave discouraged by the work to be done, but encouraged because one, we do it with you and two, you are going to bring reconciliation, things we didn't see coming. And that will be part of our testimony and will speak in the lives of others. So may we trust you this day. 
as we take the offering, may we continue to trust you in all things, with our relationships, with our finances, with our families, our work environment, whatever it may be. We want to continue to trust, to hand over those things occupying space in our heart that now belongs to you. We give you those things. So bless the the gifts and offering. May they be used for your kingdom to touch lives in such a way that they would be transformed with ever-increasing glory and they would know truly and deeply your love in their lives. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for relationship. We thank you with you. We always have family. In Jesus' name, amen. Take my voice and let me sing Always only for my King Take my lips and let them be Filled with messages from me Take my silver and my gold Not a mine would I Take my intellect and use every power as you choose. Here am I, all of me. i